0: This is the podcast where we get the inside scoop on everyday people. We find out how they think, problem solve, manage their time, and how they navigate tricky situations. We ask the questions that you always wonder about the people in your life, but never get to ask. This is the podcast where you gain that insight. We don't live in a silo. We're not on our own. So let's talk about it and connect. Welcome to the Insight Catalyst podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Insight Catalyst podcast. It's been a busy few months for me with work but also the podcast and I'm really thrilled with all the feedback that you guys have been sending me on Facebook and Instagram so really appreciate all the support that I'm getting from you guys. That's sort of why I do it and it gives me the motivation to keep going so thank you very much. It's been an interesting few months for me but it's also been an interesting few months in New Zealand politics with lots going on and lots of silver linings really because it means that I'm now sitting down with Tangi Utakeri in front of me and it's a really cool opportunity to meet him. He's obviously a really successful Palmerston North councillor, he's currently the deputy mayor of Palmerston North and he is also the Labour candidate for Palmerston North so he's got lots on his plate Uh, I'm really thrilled to have him and I'm really grateful that he's able to make the time for me today. So Tangi, welcome. Thank you so much for making the time. I know it's been a hectic month for you, but I really appreciate it.
1: Now, kia ora Kiorana Finn, thanks for the invitation. It has mm. been a bit of a hectic um well, wee while, uh, more recently, mm. but great to uh, have an opportunity to sit down with you and have a chat.
0: Excellent, and I was at a meeting last night where I was in the audience and you were up speaking and you, I think you left at 10 o'clock, so you're a busy man, long days, long hours.
1: Yeah, I guess that comes with part of, um, part of the campaign, um, but most people have had a little <laughs> bit more time uh, to get amongst it, whereas I've, I think today is day 10. Mm. being um, the Labour Party candidate here in Palmerston yeah. North. Oh, I think
0: you're doing a fantastic job and certainly last night the feedback about you was extremely positive and it's exciting to have someone like yourself standing for Labour so I thought I'd pass that on in a public forum yeah. as well. <laughs> um, so, So I'm really, really interested in your pathway because I'm a teacher, I understand teaching but also I know lots of teachers who have gone on to do other things. And I believe that you've had some experience in education in te- the teaching sector. And so what I thought we could do is just if we start in your teaching experience, what you got up to there and how, how that sort of led into your career in
1: politics in the council and now in the Labour Party. Mm. So um, I, I was born here in Palmerston North and this is where I did my um, my own schooling and education. And I went to, to Massey and um, left Massey with a... Um, a degree in political science, history and social policy and then I went on to um, Teachers College here and had a passion for my own experience um, in history and so went back to teach at Freiburg uh, High School um, where I started off teaching largely in the health uh, curriculum and in integrated studies which is social science a bit of uh, English and, and the like as well. Um, before then moving purely into the health um, side of things in terms of well-being as a dean and head of school um, and senior history, which was my, my subject of choice um, for quite some time. So I was teaching at Freiburg for about 12 or 13 years. Um, I love teaching, I still love teaching. Um, I don't love the administration side <laughs> of teaching, uh, but I loved working with uh, Rangatahi, um, with colleagues um, and the wider community as well. Um, when I ended up being elected to the council back in 2010, that was when the city was divided in wards, and so I was elected to represent the Takaro ward, uh, which is largely the western part of, of Palmerston North in terms of its suburb makeup. And it meant that over time um, I moved to part-time teaching and then eventually it got to the point where I made the decision to um, move fully into the local government sector. Yeah. Um, currently, I mean, I, I still keep my finger on the pulse. I, I chair Freiburg's Board of Trustees currently. Um, I, um, not at the moment because I'm on leave, but sit as a, a member of the New Zealand uh, Teachers' Disciplinary Tribunal as one of their members. So that, I guess, is the sad side of, of the profession. Um, but yeah, local government purely has been my bread and butter over recent times. Mm, fantastic. What did you love, or what do you love about teaching? Is it the, is it the kids that you
0: get to be exposed to, or is it the parents, the community? What aspect, what drew
1: drew you to teaching initially? I, th- I think it has to be the kids. Um, mm. For me, my passion was in history. That's what I did my uh, my degree in, and then. Yeah, just reflecting on the time that I spent as a largely a secondary school student um, with friends but also with passionate educators. So that I think is what drew me to, um, to the profession. I, I have to say I didn't think perhaps I would stay as long as I did. I mean, people who have been there obviously much longer than 12 or 13 years, I thought it might have been a you know, five or six year sort of gig and then might move into something in terms of policy or something like that. But yeah, it was, I guess, taking those teachable moments, um, sharing my passion with young people who got it and clicked. Um, and so that's particularly why I enjoyed history. Mm. I find, I can relate to what you've just said as well, that time
0: flies. I've now been at, the, at my school for five years, and I <laughs> far out, that's just gone so quickly. And even this year, obviously with everything going on with COVID and, and lockdown and everything, things seem to have gone faster, but we're now August already. And it just the years just ticked by like months almost. It so, has. you know, 12 years goes, I can imagine it will go yeah, like this. Do you find going from teaching in schools to working in the council there are similarities, or do you mm. find they're very different areas and contexts?
1: I, th- I think they are different, but the skill sets that you learn as an educator, um, that are transferable, so <laughs> often. Dealing with colleagues can be like dealing with naughty children at times, <laughs> um, but not all the time. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's working within a particular framework. Um, there is legislation, there is policy. But at the same time, um, you are representing your community and advocating and serving your community. But also you're actually um, aligning yourself with particular policies and, mm. and procedures just like you would in a work environment in, in a school. Mm. Um, I guess the only difference is that you are accountable to the people every three years. There's no uh, longevity of tenure, whereas mm. in education, if you're fronting up and doing what's expected of you, you can perhaps be a teacher for a rather long time.
0: That's right. It's a fairly comprehensive performance review every three
1: years, isn't it, as a it politician? Is. <laughs> it is. And there's no guarantee of, of success or... Future consideration, really, mm. and I understand that you've you're now in your fourth term as a councillor. Is that correct? I am. I am. Yeah. So congratulations. Uh, I've, I've, thank you. I mean, I've spent ten years on the council as a uh, elected member, and four years um, as the deputy mayor alongside some other responsibilities mm. that I have, and, and I, I do enjoy that. Uh, serving my community and and being a representative. And deputy mayor for four, which is obviously a busy four years for you. It has (laughs) been. Um, I mean I I get to work alongside my colleagues, I get to uh, work alongside our mayor who is doing a fantastic job in my view, Um, which is interesting because he and I went up against each other five years ago in a by-election but, um, no, he's doing a fantastic job and we, we really do compliment each other. Yeah, and
0: that sort of leads me into what I'm wondering. As you are talking and what you're doing in, in everyday life, as a deputy mayor, I'm thinking, what does it look like for you when that alarm goes off at whatever time it is? I know you're up at 10 o'clock at night in the public, but what does
1: it look like in your first half hour of every day? Well, I'm not <laughs> necessarily a, warning, a morning person. Um, I can and, relate to that. And people in the office will, will tell you that. <laughs> um, but for me, it, it pretty much means getting to the office. The beauty about Palmerston North is it takes me seven or eight minutes to get from home to um, to the council. And each day is actually quite different. Uh, Wednesdays are council days purely where colleagues come together. That's when our committee meetings take place. That's when our council workshops and briefings and council meetings take place. So. I know that on a Wednesday it's pretty much the same sort of routine for me and colleagues where our committee or council meetings start at nine o'clock and I mean yesterday was a good example where we went through till um, the late afternoon but for me being the deputy mayor actually does consist of a number of internal meetings it's meetings with the mayor and senior staff um, with colleagues but also it's actually opportunities for me to be working on Uh, particular projects that the council has in store or working alongside colleagues on their projects or what I really enjoy is being out and about uh, in schools with members of our community with businesses Um, that's day in day out what I know you asked for the first 30 minutes or first hour of the day but it does change from day to day. Yeah. So
0: how often would you get out and about into the public? Do you try and do that mm. Monday, Tuesday,
1: Thursday, Friday? Or does is it, is it just not happen co- no. due, to, due to other commitments? It, yeah. just, it does vary. Mm. So that's often responsive to requests uh, from the community. So where they might have an event that they would either like the mayor or if not the mayor, then the deputy mayor to go to, then we'll do that. Um, but no, each, each day is quite different. So Monday, for example, is not my out and about in the community day. Um, yeah. It would be pretty common for most days for me to be out amongst our community yeah. uh, for yeah. various events and, yeah. and invites. How do you manage
0: your time? Do you, for me, I know I have a calendar and I put everything <laughs> in. What sort of strategies do you use to actually make sure that you know what's happening, you know where you need to be, and I guess two aspects to it because you've got your organisation in terms of events and places and things and things that you need to do, meetings that you need to attend, but also you've got the other aspect of organisation in terms of workflow and I know you've got a you'll have a whole lot of tasks within projects and things that you need to do. How do you manage
1: those both aspects
0: of being a Deputy Mayor? Yeah,
1: it's a good question. Um, If you look at my diary, which is largely managed actually by staff at the moment, um, it's all colour coded so this is pretty mundane but blue for example are all the council commitments um orange are all of the uh, judicial commitments that i have Uh, red are all the speeches or community events pink is the travel Mm. so it's just i guess for me compartmentalizing things and looking ahead and knowing what's coming next is really important and also knowing that different things are at different stages so for example the Mayor, Councillor Bowen, the um, senior staff and I sit on a sesquintennial committee which is preparations for the city's 150th anniversary next year in 2021 and so I had a meeting today around that. Um, When I look at that I know that that's happening and I know in my own mind what stage in the process we're at so it does require a little bit of preparation but also some understanding of where things are at uh, mm. in different spaces mm. and different times.
0: Do you have a diary that you scroll around and scroll across, or is it all digital in terms of if you ever need to um, unload and, and, and drop box all your ideas out of your head,
1: how do you do that? Or is, it, is it all internal? No, it's not all internal. It is all digital. <laughs> it is all digital. Yeah. And when I first started on the council, it was a hard copy, which was actually all councillors were given a, um, a little blackboard book diary thing, and you would write everything by hand in. Um, now Outlook seems to manage my life, Yeah. Uh, but for the campaign it's a, it's a Gmail right. uh, calendar, so we're just in a slight state of flux trying to yeah. marry the two for my purposes. I think
0: and you're right. doing an amazing job. Full, full credit to you. I can only imagine what your diary and your calendar <coughs> would look like. If you think about a Wednesday, when you have one of your committee meetings and mm-hmm. council meetings, what sort of what sort of approach do you take to those? Because is it a place where you debate issues or you may have opposing ideas within councillors or within your staff around a project? I can imagine if you're sitting around a table, how do you go from a topic or an agenda through differing opinions to get to a final outcome? What's the
1: sort of process for, as a, as a councillor? So one of the things that I have as a responsibility as the Deputy Mayor is in advance of all committee and council meetings that the Chair and the Deputy Chair of those committees along with the senior staff have an agenda meeting and that's just to go through the agenda so that the Chair is comfortable with knowing what's coming up in the order and the different reports and all that sort of stuff. So one of my roles on behalf of the Mayor's office as the Deputy is to go to all of those agenda meetings. So I have a clear line of sight across all work streams uh, for all, all committees on behalf of the Mayor's office. So it's a little bit, I guess, uh, of an advantage for me because I get to see where things are coming um, in, a, in a broader sense. But the, the meetings themselves are run according to what we call standing orders and they are the rules of engagement, the rules of debate, the rules of meeting procedure and process and everyone understands them and everyone follows them and I think that's a really important aspect to the council and how it functions because if those meeting uh, standing orders were not there then you could potentially have a state of chaos. For me I approach things um, looking at what's coming up. So yesterday, for example, we had two committees. One was the Community Development Committee had its meeting and the other was the Infrastructure uh, Committee. So if, in terms of community development, the first item was actually hearing a deputation from Enable New Zealand to talk about the good work that they are doing in the community. Then we move on to other things like the confirmation of the minutes. Then we move on to other reports around COVID funding and community funding opportunities of 200,000 and what that might look like. So. For me, I I guess, approaching each of those meetings is an understanding of what my tentative view is on each of those matters, but being open to the views of colleagues, listening to what it is that they have to say, and Mm. contributing myself Mm. with my own views and how I see things before I land on a particular um, view. And Mm. most of the time the Council um, makes its decisions by consensus, but from time to time there are decisions that are made by a majority and um, we exercise our individual votes on those and once the decision is made um, I accept mm. the collective decision mm. and, and move to implement that on behalf of the city.
0: In those standing orders or in those meetings will you have a topic which may need some conversation and debate will it get brought up so it's in the minutes so it will get gets, uh, tabled and will there be some time for everybody to say their opinion or how do you structure that? How, do you, how does everybody get their voice out or what does that look like in terms of a
1: structure and running that, mm-hmm. that part of the meeting? So where there's an item, so for example if you look at the $200,000 that's made available for, com- for our community as a result of COVID so in that report will be a number of options and any elected member is able to speak or contribute to that debate Um, at committee you can speak as many times as you like with the permission of the chair. And so it will require some question and answers from the officers around what certain things might mean in a committee report or paper. And then once that is finished, the officer retires from the table and any elective member from around the table will move a particular motion. So for example, yesterday someone moved that we establish this $200,000 fund and that it be... um, uh, open for distribution to the community in a way that was outlined in the report. Now, the report actually had no caps or no limits on each application. People could come, community organisations could come back and apply with, you know, no particular cap. One elective member felt actually no, there needed to be a cap, and so they spoke about the need for the cap to sit at five thousand dollars per application. So that's then treated as an amendment, and it's discussed by everyone and it's voted. Yesterday, the majority of people sitting around that table voted for that cap of five thousand. So that then formed part of um, what was discussed. So it's I know it sounds quite um, iterational or quite um, <clears throat> process driven, but it actually allows for people to participate. And, you know, even if someone said, oh, no, the cap should be 100,000, then they'd be entitled to say that uh, and to exercise their right to speak. Mm. But actually decisions don't get made unless there's a majority view around that
0: table. Mm, right. I could imagine that the culture within the councillors is important when you are discussing event, uh, topics which could be emotional or which could be certainly seen either way or either side. But your culture and professionalism would surely have to be present in all of those committee meetings all the way through.
1: You're right. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm really proud of over the years being on this council is that people um, people debate the issues and the policies. They don't debate the people or the yeah. personalities. Mm. And when I look around the council table, there are um, all aspects of the political spectrum are represented around the table. You know, there are people who obviously... Um, are endorsed by the Labour Party and the Green Party. We have members whose reflections are with the National Party or with New Zealand First. Um, and I'm sure there might be others as well. But actually, we thrust those issues out in the debating chamber um, and they don't seem to fall along party lines. Mm. And then once we finish, we all go out, we have lunch together, we yeah. have a cup of coffee. <laughs> it's, it really is yeah. you know a great, great thing of this council. And something that I would hope would continue... Uh, for councils moving into the future.
0: And it has to be like that doesn't it? Because if you don't have that people's opinions and, and thoughts won't get voiced or relationships will break down and who and I think the people who would suffer from that is the population of Palmerston North, right? We're, re- right. we're re- In that room you're representing your community, you're trying to get the best outcome for them and sometimes you need to have a rigorous debate and it is not personal and yet you need to get to an outcome.
1: You're right, and all elected members around that table are actually there for the best interests of the city.
0: Wow, busy man, busy man. I just keep thinking, how on earth do you relax, maintain your well-being? I know for me that I quite like to have some boundaries around my work and when I do some schoolwork and when I'm doing exercise or different things like that. I know that you potentially will go through phases, especially at the moment, with your labour um, campaign where your workload might be high and it might only it might be for a short period of time leading up into that campaign higher than normal but on and every week, every day week I'm sure it's higher than most. So how on earth do you maintain your own well-being, your stress levels and your own mindset?
1: I think one of the advantages of being the Deputy Mayor is a physical space in the Council Building. So it means that actually um, I get to physically go to work. Each day, rather than um, where I wasn't the deputy mayor, I would be working from home largely. So it was very easy to confuse the two uh, in terms of having you know your home life impacted by um, your council work and activities. Now that doesn't mean that there still isn't an impact because where you're an elected member and you respond to your community. A lot of these events happen on public holidays. A lot of these events happen on the weekend or in evenings. And so that does mean that that has an impact, actually, for all elected members on their home life opportunities. Um, So for me, it's actually about ensuring that I, over the course of a week, do have time to spend with my partner um, and my family who are in the city um, and trying to ensure that there is a balance around that I appreciate that at the moment it's a little bit probably um, <laughs> skewed in a different way but but that's just how it has to happen for the time being. and made.
0: that's a, that's a sacrifice that sometimes you have to make isn't it for to sure to achieve the next the next stage of your life Eh? do you think that you I put myself in your shoes as a teacher and then I think if I was to go through and try and elect myself as a councillor and get on to the City Council and then go through the pathway that you've done. What skills would I need or what skills do you have that has enabled you to rise through the ranks of the education system to become head of school, to become a Dean, then you've gone on to the Council, you've risen in that through a whole lot of hard work to become Deputy Mayor and now you're going into the Labour Party and into um, central central government and politics. What sets
1: you apart? How are you able to do that? Because it
0: must be something in you, surely.
1: (laughs) I think, I would hope that, I mean, you know, I've had an opportunity over the last wee while to reflect on what I've offered to my community over 10 years and before that as a a teacher. And I think it's actually a sense of uh, one's integrity that you focus on the issues, that you um, treat people as you yourself would like to be treated and that you're up front with people. Um, And I think fundamentally that has been the driving force behind everything that I've done, that I will very happily stand by decisions that I've made, that I've had an open mind to approaching things, whether it's in a departmental meeting, whether it's around the council table, or things work out whether it's in the debating chamber um, of the House. Um, For me, it's actually about The sense of integrity and how you go about things. Um, I think you have to, in terms of my own journey, you have to be a good communicator, you have to be a good listener, you have to be passionate about your own community, um, you need to be available to your own community. Um, And I think all of those go hand in hand that if you are available and you're passionate and you're listening to your community, then it means that actually you are best placed to be able to advocate for them. Mm. Um, and for me, that's exactly, I think, what I've done over the last 10 years on council is I have been available to my community, I've listened to them, and um, and I've advocated. But at the same time, I've kept my eye to the bigger picture in that what is the best interests of, of our city and our community? And there have been times where I have made decisions or supported decisions that, you know, some people would be unhappy uh, around or about, but actually, I fundamentally believe that they are in the best interests of, mm. of the city, and that's why I've made them, mm. and I stand by those.
0: Do you find that you sometimes have to separate your own personal view from the view of council or the decision that goes through, and if so, is that difficult?
1: Yeah, I think you do. Um, I mean, I, I've never been one for self interest. Um, when I first got on the council, a lot of people sort of thought, "Oh well, suddenly you're, you know, you'll get all these new street lights, and and your 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 street will suddenly be." the one that receives the new seal and a higher <laughs> level of service. Um, I have to say I haven't experienced that, nor would I uh, expect that to be the case. So, yeah, it has, it has been, I think, a challenge um, for some to put aside personal views on things. I, I guess I learned pretty early on that actually I'm there to take a global view of things, and that hasn't been as, as difficult for me. Process is really important to me. If you ask my council colleagues, one thing I hope that I would have um, delivered for them over, over recent times is a focus on process, which means that sometimes I help colleagues even though I don't agree with what it is that they're wanting to promote or support. But I actually think that that's part of being a, a strong colleague mm. is to support people with the process, um, even though at the end of the day I might vote against it. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. That's just enabling and, and helping them. And the and, it, and it gains consistency
0: and fairness, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, you're right. In that, in that way. Exactly. What I'd like to dive into in the second part of today mm. is specific difficult conversations that you may need to have, not into terms of details of what you discuss, but how you approach it and how you... Manage those situations when it's perhaps with one staff or one on one. And also also if you've ever I'm sure you have, I think we all have made any mistakes and how you respond to those. What's the what's the best way to respond? But what I'd like to do in between that is just a little bit of a game that I play in each episode. And it's called this or that. Really simple, you'll be fine. I'll ask you two options, right? Okay. And you've got to be quick. Whatever first comes to, you, comes to your mind. Don't think about it. Boom. Okay, it okay. All right. All right. So it's Will this come th- back to bite me? <laughs> we can just edit it out. No. We don't <laughs> all right. This or
1: that? Um, phone call or a text? Text. Great. Why is that? Um, well, that was the first thing that came to mind. Good. I text a lot. Yep. I don't mind phone calls, but often I find um, texts are more efficient, although sometimes they can be misunderstood. With the tone, yeah,
0: perhaps. Okay, I like it. I like the decisive answer as well. All right. In terms of shopping, online or in store? In store. Traditional or new? Oh, traditional. Oh, good. In terms of that, I obviously didn't give any context there. No, but you didn't. Where, where do you? I
1: I think um, I love new stuff. Everyone loves new <laughs> shiny stuff, but traditional, I think, for me, is more around um, process and order. Um, and I, I think that tradition is also an acknowledgement of where someone has come from. Mm. So I, yeah, I, I like to tra- challenge some of the traditional stuff, but um, I think, yeah, I also like the sense of identity. And I where like that.
0: From. I like that because otherwise, there's a risk of just jumping onto everything that's new, sure. isn't there? There's
1: nothing wrong with new stuff. Nope. Nothing wrong. But no. you, you told me to be quick.
0: I love it. That's good. And I, for me personally, I think I'm. I would lean towards traditional but also with a balance of new because you do have to innovate and you do have to try new things otherwise you don't make progress and you don't develop, right? Exactly. But I, I, I would probably be on the same bandwagon as you there. Okay, next one. I've got two more for you. Chocolate or vanilla?
1: Oh, vanilla. Oh. But actually, that, you know, <laughs> that was hard because I'm dairy-free. Oh, So okay. I just went to the but now, that I th- now that i think about it vanilla can kind of you know vanilla what vanilla ice cream we'll be that. so um yeah
0: oh <laughs> you can't go past chocolate surely i'm thinking my mind went to ice cream and i think yeah oh, no. well but you then... see
1: and i thought chocolate well i don't eat i can't necessarily always eat cho- although dark chocolate yes so
0: yeah <laughs> okay one more um quick meal or three course meal three course interesting what did you have for dinner last night? Toast.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's because I was I was late. I, you know, sort of by the time I got home was after ten. Um, but I think three course because I actually I love food, and I love eating obviously. But when you when you eat with people, you have socialisation, you have occasion, you have conversation. So. Three course, nothing mm. wrong
0: with that. No, absolutely. I like it. I like how decisive you were too. Some of the other guests, they were, oh, I can't decide. So I'm very I'm impressed. mucking around here. <laughs> it's good, good from a politician, <laughs> That's right? That's right. Straight to the point. So I mentioned earlier that I'm really interested in how you, how, how you dive in and tackle those difficult conversations where it may be about, a, a views that are different to your own. Mm. It could be performance that may stray from expected performance it could be uh, realignment with values, it could be in any context, but generally how would you approach that situation with, say, a staff member where it is a one-on-one or a close
1: person in your your team? I think fundamentally you need to have a connection with the person you're having conversation with. Mm. And when I say connection, I don't mean it has to be a friendly connection, I don't mean it has to be a social connection, there needs to be some way in which the two of you are, um, you're led to that situation. So whether it's because it's a a friend and a friend, or whether it's a employee and an employer, or whether it's a manager who has responsibility, or whether it's actually as an elective member and a constituent, mm. there needs to be a connection. And I also think that there needs to be an upfront conversation around um, what has led to conversation needing to take place in the first place. Um, I've, I've always been a fan for open conversations, not meaning that there are lots of people around listening but actually a full and frank conversation around what actually you need to talk about. Mm-hmm. So if I think in a um, in a teaching context and I've been there where I've had responsibilities for staff and have had to manage staff as part of the appraisal and performance process, often it's actually around Um, raising some of the issues with them, but also actually listening to what it is that they have to say because it's a two-way process, right? I mean, it's not all a one-way thing where you just get to tell them what the problem is and they need to go away and fix it. That's not actually how that works. It's around having a conversation about what the perceived or actual issue is and leading to some understanding from the teacher's perspective around their views on that because, you know, sometimes it can only be one side of the story. Mm. Um, rather than
0: the two and I find if you have those conversations with people and and you do you're open and you are frank it can clarify a whole lot of things because sometimes the other party may may have assumed something else quite rightly, quite fairly or they're in a different mindset or they just don't realise and if you don't have those open conversations sometimes you're forming judgments with your own bias or you're forming judgments with your own observations which may not be accurate or may not reflect the actual situation.
1: Mm. No, I agree with that. Um, and often you don't actually realise that you have bias mm-hmm. until someone else points that out. Mm. And it's taken actually me a wee while in terms of the different um, responsibilities that I've had to just step back and reflect on that. Because, you know, we all we all don't like being told that our view is wrong, particularly not a politician. <laughs> um, But, yeah, it's an easy trap to fall into. Um, And it's actually really difficult to step back and look at things afresh Mm. from time to time. Um, But, yeah, those are the the important aspects of any difficult conversation. Mm.
0: Do you find in council it would be led mainly because of an opinion around something? It would be a different opinion. That would be quite a challenging situation for you to be around do you think or do you just say well we've got different opinions
1: it's okay how do you how do you manage that? Probably the latter I I quite like people having a different view to Mm. me because it it challenges me and it solidifies my own view on things perhaps or it leads me to change my own view and around the council table what I think is really important is that people come to the table with an open mind and while it's okay to express your view Often, actually, when you challenge someone to just show me the evidence, you know, show me the money or mm. what have you, or where that's going to come from, that's just as important as expressing the initial view in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that's mm. awesome. Do you ever get
0: nervous when you have to have those conversations with the people? Maybe, maybe in ten years ago, when you early in politics, mm. but
1: now has has that changed or? I think you're right. Early on, perhaps yes, because. Just like anything, when you're new to something, it's a little bit unfamiliar. You're sort of checking out how far you can go, what you can do, what you can't do. Very similar to teaching. When you get your first position, you know, um, do you have to ask your HOD or your team leader for permission to do this or not? How much of this is your own expectation and planning um, and decisions that you make? Now, I think, um, for me, it's not as as difficult. I don't seem to get nervous around things. It's just and parcel of the day yeah that's awesome and public speaking doesn't phase you no no it doesn't <laughs> um i mean you know there's often a running joke that well give a politician a couple of minutes and they'll take 10 but <laughs> no it's I, I do enjoy getting out in the community mm. um i appreciate that some people don't like public speaking um i guess it's just people's strengths around things you know if you were to lift the bonnet of, of a car and say well, what's what's going on in there i wouldn't have a clue yeah yeah you know Um, whereas public speaking is quite different for me.
0: Has that always been the way?
1: Oh, I think probably, yeah. Mm. I I, I gather if you're a teacher, you don't have any problem with um, giving direction (laughs) and (laughs) speaking publicly if if need be. But, yeah, I've always been fine giving speeches and things like that Mm. uh, for as long as I can recall. I was really impressed with you last
0: night when I went to your... Uh, public speaking event and also just listening to you now I think integrity seems to run through everything that you say does that influence how you respond or react to any mistakes or things that you might not have quite got right do you do you go and say "Ah, oh, sorry mate look I, I don't think I got this quite right oh no. how do you manage that if, if, you, if you haven't quite
1: responded in the way that you would have liked yes I would um I like to think that I treat people fairly Mm -hmm. and if I've made a mistake or have overlooked something or done something that perhaps I shouldn't have then I will own that and I will front up to the person or or whatever um, and indicate that and then I'll move on, Mm -hmm. you know I mean I I don't think there's a lot of uh, point in dwelling on certain things but if you stuff up um, and and you've done that by some mistake or it wasn't intentional, uh, which I hope it never has been for me, then I will front up and own that. Do you find that
0: your work, depending on the nature of it, because I can imagine it would be fairly rigorous and in-depth and big issues that you deal with on a daily basis... Do you find that if you've made a mistake or if you're going to have a difficult conversation or if you've got something happening the next day, do you find it difficult to compartmentalize, which you mentioned earlier about compartmentalizing, or are you able to switch off at night, get a good night's sleep, uh, spend some t- quality time with your partner and be present into the moment? Or if it is hard, how do
1: you how do you focus on that one? How do you improve it? Um. I don't, ha- I don't have difficulty switching off, to be quite honest, and one of the roles that I have done until <laughs> at the moment while I'm on leave is I've exercised jurisdiction in the district court here in Palmerston North. So individuals who have been arrested, they're required to be brought before the court um, at the earliest opportunity and uh, on occasion I will sit and I will make a decision on whether that person uh, gets bail and is released into the community or whether they are remanded in custody and go out to Manawatu prison or Arohata prison if they're they're a woman. Um, I make those decisions in in line with the law and an assessment of the risks uh, and the legislation. Once I make a decision and I issue that, and sometimes there are family members who are unhappy with that decision. Sometimes there are family members who are happy with the decision. I'm talking about not my family members, Mm. but people in the court. I make that decision and I move on. Mm-hmm. And for some people, I think they potentially could mull that over once they get home. They could think about, could I have done that differently? You know, oh, I feel for, for the fano or what have you. I'm there to do a job, I do the job, and then I, I move on. Now, some people might view that as callous or, or not. Um, that's just how I function. Um, you know, I, I, I don't tend to spend a lot of time after the event um, reflecting on mm. on decisions and particularly in the criminal justice sector mm. um, that
0: I make. If you met someone and they struggled with that, they wanted to go into politics, but they found, oh, I don't know about dealing with all these deep issues and family issues and community and social injustice and criminal, criminal issues, what would you say to them? What would be some advice if they struggled to compartmentalise and when they got home at night they were still thinking about the issues or they were thinking about what was happening the
1: next day. What would you say to them? My advice would probably be, if you're passionate about your community and you want to represent your community and you're able to listen, then any form of politics or representation or community service would be for you. But actually, if you're going home and you are really struggling with the aspects of your day, then you probably need to have a little think about how you're approaching things. And what I would hope is that if, for example, you were a new city councillor, that you could rely on the expertise of your colleagues who'd been in there, done that for some time, just to get some guidance and some advice. Yeah. And I've done that over the years in terms of new uh, elected members who come on to the council, come to me for advice, to ask about how to approach this, what I do around that. And, you know, you can you can give that advice. But, yeah, it's it's it's, I guess, quite... It's easy for me because I've got that compartmentalised approach, Mm -hmm. whereas when I was a teacher and, you know, you're thinking about lesson delivery, lesson planning, you live it, you breathe it, all of that sort of stuff, you get home, you're talking with your partner about, you know, your experiences, as you know, Mm -hmm. um, of the day and all of those sorts of things, it's perhaps a little bit... A little bit more difficult. But. but teachers are shockers, aren't they? You get a oh, bunch they, of teachers together, yes, and all know, they talk about is I teaching.
0: Know. Is it the same with your friends, or do you ever? Well, de- are your friends more scattered across professions? Scattered across. That's <laughs> a good way. Yes, a
1: researcher, a, a librarian. Uh, you know, <laughs> people that work in health, in yeah. government. Um, yeah, it's it's a little bit different. Yeah. But we, I guess. We don't get to spend as much time as, as we're used to together. It's mm. just the busyness of life. So mm. when we're together, I think it's all about enjoying each other's mm. company.
0: Yeah. yeah, fabulous. Well, last question for you today. I thoroughly enjoyed the session, but one more. Is you're an experienced city councillor, experienced deputy mayor. You're going into a new environment and a new context. What have you thought about in terms of your approach and how will you obviously not conduct yourself because I know you, how you'll conduct yourself, but what is the approach or mindset that you'll take going into a new environment representing Palmerston North potentially as Palmerston
1: North's MP come September? I think, um, to be honest, I haven't had a lot of time to think about this because, you know, it's not even been two, <laughs> two <laughs> weeks as, as the party's candidate here in Palmerston North, but I'm excited about the opportunity and so I think just like anything in life, where you get a new opportunity and there's excitement around that, then you're keen, you're eager, you want to get amongst it. For me it's probably going to be um, more of a continuation of what I've been doing and Mm. that is representing the community. You would have heard me last night talk about being a fresh, strong and effective voice for the city and our community. And I would hope that over the last 10 years and last 12 years as a teacher and beyond that. I've proven that I can do that and that I will continue to do that, but I'll do it in a way that's actually fair and reasonable and ensures, I hope, that my integrity remains intact. I'm not going into this campaign or um, a potential life in Parliament in any other way, but to be who I am and to be very proud of the city and to represent the people that make the city to the very best of my ability. Well it's so so good to
0: hear because as a citizen of Palmerston North and a voter in Palmerston North it's so reassuring to know that there is a Deputy Mayor and a councillor with those values and that is the mindset and the insight into your mind and that's how you approach your work for Palmerston North and Manawatu but also it's reassuring for us knowing that that's what you're going into for the Labour Party and that's what you'll be how you'll be representing us and the mindset and attributes that you'll take. So for me, thank you very much um, for sharing those insights. I really, really do appreciate you coming along and making the time out of your busy schedule. It's so good that we can actually sit down today Mm. and have a really cool conversation about the way you approach everyday life, challenges and interesting situations, and for people out there in Manawatu and Palmerston North and beyond to know what it takes and what the mindset and the insight is to a deputy mayor and a candidate for the Labour Party. And so thank you so
1: much. No, look, it's, it's been great. Thank you, Finn, for the opportunity to have a chat. If anything, obviously the election is just around the corner and uh, encourage people to participate in that process. It's really important for the future of our country and for democracy that uh, people exercise their right to vote. And they do exactly that.
0: And whatever way you're voting, isn't it? Especially the younger ones, that's the that's the area which Precisely. needs a bit of a boost, isn't yeah. it? So thank you so much. And from me, personally, I wish you all the best for the next couple of months. Uh, I know you'll be out working hard, but wish you all the best, and I can't wait to see how September goes for you. So good luck, and thank you so much for your time.